I'm Scott Aniel, and you're listening to By the Waters of Babylon, a podcast dedicated to discussion of Christianity in a post-Christian culture. Today is Good Friday, the day on which Christians around the world celebrate the death of our Savior. One Good Friday tradition that goes back to the very early church is the reading or even chanting of the Passion texts in the Gospels. The music you heard that opened this podcast episode is the opening to Johann Sebastian Bach's St. Matthew Passion, his musical setting of Matthew's narrative of Christ's death. As I mentioned a moment ago, the practice of chanting the Passion texts traces back to the earliest days of Christian liturgy. Often a deacon would chant the text, usually using a different voice for the narrator and various characters in the narration, especially Christ. Eventually, different singers chanted the different characters, a tenor deacon as the evangelist, a bass priest as Jesus, and a countertenor for the crowds. By the mid-15th century, the crowd parts were set to three- and four-part polyphony. In the 16th century, passion oratorios began to appear, which included the biblical narratives, but also non-biblical poetry, hymns, and other texts set to music. Eventually, the biblical texts would often be elaborated or even done away with, but Johann Sebastian Bach in the 18th century chose to retain the biblical text for the story itself. Bach's obituary attributes five passions to him, but only two survive. The St. John Passion, which he composed in 1724 and later revised, and then the St. Matthew Passion, which he composed either in 1727 or 1729, and then later revised in 1736. The St. Matthew Passion is really the high point of Bach's sacred music. It is his most elaborate and demanding sacred score, has the longest running time, and the largest performing forces. Every year in Leipzig, where Bach served, a Passion was performed on Good Friday, in one of the two principal churches of the city, St. Thomas and St. Nicholas. Bach composed the St. John Passion in the first year of his service in Leipzig in 1724. In 1725, he performed the St. John Passion again, revised and combined with portions of a Passion he wrote while he was in Weimar. But then in 1727, he composed the St. Matthew Passion, perhaps performing it that year, although many consider 1729 the premiere of the work which was probably fueled by Mendelssohn's revival of the St. Matthew Passion a hundred years later on its anniversary, as he said, in 1829. Bach revised the St. Matthew Passion in 1736, which is the version most often performed today. Bach himself regarded this work as one of great significance. Normally, his full score was a final draft, but he did a fresh copy of St. Matthew in two colors of ink, in the 1736 revision, just evidencing how much weight he gave to this sacred work. The texts for the St. Matthew Passion come from Matthew 26 and 27. The story itself strictly follows the biblical text sung by a tenor evangelist, and the words of Jesus are sung by a bass soloist with sustained strings giving a sort of halo to Jesus' words.
The other dialogue and crowd parts are sung by the chorus. Bach also included, beyond the Matthew text, new poetry by Christian Friedrich Henrici, otherwise known as Picander, which are texts of reflection and commentary beyond the biblical text. And then finally, as was customary for Bach and other composers of Passions, Bach included several important chorale texts. Probably the most significant of these is Herz Liebster Jesu, particularly for the theme of the text, which ties into Bach's central focus in the Passion, as I'll mention in a moment. The tune, Herz Liebster Jesu, was composed by Johann Kruger in 1640, and each time Bach uses the tune, he uses the text, Ah, Holy Jesus, by Johann Hiermann, written in 1630. Listen to a little bit of this chorale. The second most significant chorale Bach used is probably the one most familiar to modern listeners, and that is Herzlich tut mich verlangen, often called today Passion Chorale. He actually uses this chorale more times than Herzliebster Jesu. The tune was composed by Hans Hassler in 1601, and the text is O Sacred Head Now Wounded, written by Johann Gerhardt in 1656. This chorale tune is used six times to four different harmonizations, but to three different hymn texts.
And then the other chorale he uses is a less familiar one, Upon the Cross Extended. As I mentioned earlier, this sacred work uses a lot of musical forces, a double choir, a double orchestra, and soloists. In each scene of The Passion, Bach first depicts the tale dramatically and then interprets the reaction of the individual believer in various arias. Then he also often offers reaction of the entire community by using the chorales. The theological focus of this passion is quite significant. In the history of the church, two theories of the atonement of Christ developed in the first several centuries, one called Christus Victor and the other the satisfaction theory of the atonement. Both are biblical aspects of the atonement, but Bach focuses on one in St. John's Passion and the other in St. Matthew. In St. John, he focuses primarily on Christus Victor, Christ's victory over sin and death. But in the St. Matthew Passion, he focuses primarily on the doctrine of the satisfaction of God's divine wrath. This theme of the St. Matthew Passion is expressed poignantly in the soprano aria directly after the crowd cries, Let him be crucified. The soprano sings, It is out of love that my Savior intends to die, although of sin and guilt he knows nothing, so that my soul should not have to bear everlasting damnation and the penalty of divine justice. The St. Matthew Passion is not just a simple retelling of the Passion narrative. It is a theological statement about Christ's guiltlessness and our guilt. The Passion opens, as you heard earlier, with an introduction communicating deep angst, which set the mood of sorrow and pain for this Passion. The chorus opens in a double canon, a dialogue between Zion and the faithful. The second chorus then enters, interrupting the first with questions. And then, amidst this tension of the antiphonal choir, a boy's choir sings the German Agnus Dei, O Lamb of God Most Holy, written by Nicholas Decius in 1541. The choir sings, Come, you daughters, help me lament. Behold whom? The bridegroom, behold him. How? Like a lamb. And then the boys' choir interjects, O Lamb of God, guiltless, on the stem of the cross slaughtered. Then the choir sings, Behold, what? Behold his patience. And the boys' choir sings, Always found patient, however you were despised. And then the choir sings, Look, where? On our guilt. And the boys' choir sings, All sin have you borne, else must we have been despaired. And finally, the choir again sings, Behold him, out of love and graciousness, the wood of the cross he himself is carrying. Have mercy upon us, O Jesus.
Notice the flow of thought here. The word guiltless, the word guiltless is the highest and longest notes of the phrase. That's the focus. And then the phrase, upon our guilt, is the longest uninterrupted segment of music in the movement on a single phrase of text. Several repetitions of where, prior to the answer, build up to upon our guilt. The poem places the key word in this phrase, schult or guilt, as the rhyming word at the end of the line. It is for schultig humanity, guilty humanity, that the unschuldig, the unguilty lamb, must suffer and die. And while the choirs are emphasizing unser schult, our sin, that's when the boys' choir is singing the line of the chorale that says, all sin have you borne. And so right at the beginning of the Passion, Bach begins with this contrast between the innocent Lamb of God and guilty humanity. Jesus' first words in the Passion are, You know that after two days the Passover will be, and the Son of Man will be handed over so that he will be crucified. These are such familiar words, and they would have been to Bach's audience as well, that we might go right past them without realizing their astonishing significance. But Bach doesn't allow us pass them by. As Christ says this, Bach inserts the first presentation of Herzliebster Jesu. Ah, holy Jesus, what have you done wrong that one so hard a sentence has pronounced? What is the guilt? Into what sort of misdeeds have you fallen? And of course, the obvious answer is, he is guiltless. Later in the Gethsemane scene, Bach inserts Herzliebster Jesu again. What is the cause of all such woes? Ah, my sins have struck you down. I, Lord Jesus, have this deserved, that which you have suffered. So just using this chorale, Bach has expressed the guiltlessness of Jesus and the guiltiness of mankind. He then inserts the chorale again during Jesus' trial where one of the lines reads, The debt is paid by the master, the just one, for his vassals. Once Christ has died and is laid in the tomb, Bach concludes the Passion with a lullaby to Christ. Rest gently, gently rest. Your grave and headstone shall, for the anxious conscience, be a comfortable pillow and a resting place for the soul. Highly contented, there the eyes fall asleep. The guiltless one has died for the guilty, which, though tragic, is a comfortable pillow and a resting place for the soul. Bach doesn't include the resurrection in the Passion, so from one perspective, as a standalone piece, the resurrection is missing. But remember its original liturgical context. This would have been sung on Good Friday, and Sunday is coming. Thank you for listening to By the Waters of Babylon. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or other podcasting services. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a rating. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash scottannual. I blog at religiousaffections.org. And for articles, audio, and speaking itinerary, visit scottannual.com. Join me next time as we discuss issues related to Christianity in a post-Christian culture. Yeah.